So we are in the middle of our series on joy, as Alka said. We have learned that the joy of the Lord is our strength, the importance of celebration. And a couple of weeks ago, Ian spoke about how God is the most joyous being in the whole universe and how Jesus came so that as we abide in him, we can be filled with that joy. And one of the ways that we're filled with that joy is by being continually filled with the Spirit. I want that joy. How about you? So let's take a look at Isaiah 12 together. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. So today we're going to take a very, very practical look at what it means to be continuously filled with the Spirit as we draw water from the wells of salvation and we are full of the joy of the Lord. I love it. John Piper preached on this text at a missions conference, and he said that this text is about perseverance, how we can not only survive, but we can thrive rather than drying up as we serve the Lord. In his introduction to that sermon, this is what he said. Isaiah says you will draw water from the wells of salvation, not the well. If you're crossing a desert or passing through a wilderness, it won't do to have a well at the beginning and a well at the end, there have to be wells along the way. Otherwise, you'll drop dead of thirst in the sand. The wells of salvation are plural. They are as many as your days, and they are located everywhere you go. How can we say this? The reason for this is wonderfully simple and deep. God is your salvation, and your wells are the places and the times when you come to him. And there is no place and no time when he is not ready to meet with you and me. This is what Isaiah 12, 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. God is our salvation, and the wells of salvation are the places and the times when you draw near to God and drink from the springs of his truth and power and love and glory. Yes! So there are as many wells in the missionary wilderness as there are acts of willingness to seek God. If you make it your first priority to drink from the wells of salvation every day, you will never lose your way in the wilderness. God guides us by the wells of salvation. He's so faithful. I am so glad that there are wells placed along life's way where I can meet with God. You know, if you haven't crossed a wilderness, think of it like running a marathon. You don't just get to drink at the starting line and at the finishing line. There are water stations along the way. Now, in full confession, I haven't crossed a wilderness, but I also haven't run a marathon. But I have lived life, and I have followed Jesus for over 30 years. I have left home, gone to college, got a job, got married, had children, lost loved ones, held a dying friend, friend in my arms as she took her last breath, 
I've left my country behind, come 3,000 miles, and left my family. And along the way, God has sustained me through everything. Because you see, this race that we run, it is like a marathon, isn't it? And a sprint, and an army obstacle course, and a tough mudder, and an Ironman all joined into one. And the race course takes us through dense forests, across lush pastures, raging rivers, dry deserts, and over mountains, and down into deep, dark valleys at times. But God is sustaining us as we go. We might experience that well as a still water, or a bubbling mountain brook, or a river of life, or a fountain of joy. But those wells are there, and they do sustain us. In his book, Desiring God, John Piper actually quotes George Muller, who was used of God to establish orphanages where he cared for thousands and thousands of orphans. And Muller made joy his first priority. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Key phrase, not happy, but happy in the Lord. The first thing to be, concerned about, to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how the inner life might be nourished. Happy in the Lord. You see, someone commented, working hard for Jesus, even caring for thousands of orf orphans, can become a very cold and empty duty if we've lost the warmth of our love for Jesus. Joy keeps you safe from serving as a religious duty. But I see many Christians who feel dry and weary and who have lost their joy in serving to the point where maybe they give up. But you see, maybe the issue isn't the serving. Maybe the issue is our lack of joy in the Lord. Maybe the needle on our joy gauge is dangerously low. Because in Matthew 11, Jesus issues this amazing invitation. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the message version. I think it hits the nail on the head. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. So there is a yoke that we wear. God is calling us, like George Muller, to great works. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light as we are filled with the Spirit. Jesus shows us how to do that as we walk and we work with him. Dutiful religion will burn us out. But if we learn the unforced rhythms of grace, there's a joy and an ease to our life and our work. We are marching to a different step. You know, when I was first saved, I really deeply sensed the presence of God. It was like he had walked into the room and while I was aware of my sin, it was a sense of destiny that gripped me. I was so full of joy, I felt like I could fly. But pretty soon, 
the life that well-meaning Christians wanted me to live became very dry. Lots of rules and regulations and scripture memorization. I mean, I was still struggling with trying to sort out my life and my behavior. And everybody around me seemed so good. And I thought it was so boring. And I said to God, if this is all there is, I am out of here. Now, I had heard about being filled with the Spirit, but I didn't think that God would give me the Spirit because I was too badly behaved. But my cousin explained to me that God gives us the Spirit so we have the power to live the life. So on my way home from visiting her, I was on the train in the bathroom. I opened my mouth to pray, and out came a new heavenly language. I was shocked. I actually stayed up all night practicing, just in case I forgot how to do it. And I've been practicing ever since. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And for me, being filled with the Holy Spirit was so liberating. You know, life took on a new level of joy. I had a new desire for the things of God. No longer was it me striving, but God working in me and through me to accomplish his purpose. I was marching to a different beat, the beat of the Spirit. And if we listen carefully, we can hear his beat inside of us. And our feet start tapping and our fingers start drumming. And before we know it, we are dancing in time with him. Rather than listening to the relentless beat of legalism, which goes on and on and on and on and on and never gives you a break. The Christian life no longer felt dry and empty. I was full of joy. You know, Jesus says, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within him. And by this, he meant the Spirit. And that is where it begins, by being filled with the Spirit. So today, have you been filled with the Spirit? If you have not, we would love to pray for you at the end. And even if you have, we would love to pray because we need to be continuously filled with the Spirit to experience the joy of the Lord. So to be filled with joy, we do need to respond to Jesus' invitation to come away with him. We need to go to the well, we need to draw the water, and we need to drink. We can't drink if we don't go to the well. So today we want to talk about three things. Go, draw, and drink. So that's my kind of three points. Going to the well, we need to set a time and a place to be with Jesus. That's what John Piper said. Our wells are the times and places we meet with him. And for me, that has meant submitting myself to a schedule. I know he's with us all the time and he's everywhere, but he loves to have our undivided attention. He loves us and he delights to be with us. If you have got your eye on somebody, being in a group is fine. But if you're honest, what you're really craving is someone on one time. You know, I've been married to Gareth for 30 years. But if I don't schedule time to be alone with him, it can just become a business relationship. And for some of us, our relationship with God is like that. It's all business. It's all about what we do for him rather than enjoying being with him. So I schedule time to be alone with God because I want to drink him in. When do I go? Every day. 
because I want fresh water. Growing up, we lived on the side of a mountain. Sounds idyllic, it wasn't. <laughs> but just over the fence, there was a mountain stream that bubbled down, and we took a Bosch, which is a Belfast sink, and we shoved it into the bottom of the mountain so it would catch the water from the stream. And when we wanted a pitcher of water for dinner, we would just hop over the fence, grab the pitcher of water, and take it to the table. We never drank yesterday's water because the fresh sauce was right there. And it's the same for us. We need to drink of the Spirit every single day. We need to go to the source. You know, it's in the ebb and flow of our daily life that we drink of the Spirit. So we need to find the rhythm to do that and to spend some time with God. So discover what works for your rhythm of life so that you can be filled with the Spirit. Are you an early bird? I am. Or a night owl? Are you a lunchtime person or a middle-of-the-afternoon person? It doesn't matter when as long as you go. So find your rhythm, find what works for you, because what works for you is the right answer. But prioritize God. Spend time with him. Consecrate yourself to him. We heard that today. And can I suggest that your time with God needs to be somewhere where you would want to be? Somewhere pleasant, where you can enjoy yourself. And it needs to be accessible. Because, you know, if the well that you go to is five miles away, you're unlikely to go there very often. You need to be able to just hop on over the fence with your pitcher and fill it up. So for me, my regular place to be with God is in my prayer chair, in the living room, looking out of the window. That's obviously very accessible to me. But I love to be outside for time with God too. So I love to walk when I can walk <laughs> and go to the beach. God really speaks to me when I'm out in creation. That's my kind of rhythm. But let's talk about rhythm because my rhythm might be very different to yours. My rhythm will be very different to a parent at home with little children or somebody working full time to support their family or caring for elderly parents. Because we have different amounts of time available depending on our season of life. So daily, how much time do you have? Do you have five minutes? Do you have 10? Do you have 30? You see, God knows about the demands of your life, but he's so ready to meet with you whenever you set aside time to be with him. Your daily rhythm has to match your season. So where do you or where could you go to be with Jesus? When could it be? Could it be on your way back from walking to the school bus? Maybe I used to do this. When your children go down for a nap, you could spend the first 20 minutes being with Jesus before you do anything else. Maybe when you're out raking the leaves. My friend Debbie used to take a long leisurely bath each night. That was her time to be with Jesus. But there will be a time, and sometimes, maybe there's something we have to give up in order to prioritize being with Jesus. You know, sometimes we'd like or need a little bit longer, like daily. Maybe you can grab 10 minutes. That's fantastic. Everything counts. God is so ready to be with us. But Mondays have always been my day to be with God. My friends know that, even when my kids were little. But I needed help to make that happen. So my friend Chris, who had twin girls, every Monday afternoon, she would bring her girls to my house. I would take care of them. She would go off and do her own thing. We'd have coffee together, dinner when they came back, and go our separate ways. It was hard work. But the next week, I got to go and drop my kids at her house. 
and I had my time to go and to be alone with Jesus. So I would really recommend helping each other. You know, it's so beneficial to set a time to slow down and come out of your normal rhythm, to come out of your normal routine and to be with Jesus. I had the privilege of being able to take a sabbatical last year. I took six weeks off over the summer. It was fantastic. But not everybody can do that. But most of us could maybe create the time for a retreat, half a day, a day, 36 hours. God can really speak to us during those times. So I want to give you a tip. This is a fantastic gift certificate to give to a loved one for Valentine's Day or Mother's Day or Father's Day. Rather than giving them a gift certificate to have a massage or go to the spa, give them your time and effort to free them to have a day at the well to be with Jesus. Because when we hear from God, those times can become landmarks in our life. We can feast off the goodness of that time with God for months to come. And I know it takes planning and sacrifice, but he's worth it. So we go to the well, and when we get to the well, we do actually need to draw the water. And for me, that's meant having a routine of spiritual disciplines. Because otherwise, for me, when I go to the well, I get a bit distracted. And I do other things other than focus on Jesus. Things that we can do, pray, worship, read the Bible. And as we do them, we are filled with the Spirit because God delights to meet with us and fill us with his joy. Well, I have to tell you a story. So a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Alaska on an expedition cruise. Gareth and I were celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. And I just had the sense that the Holy Spirit was just as excited as me about the fact that we were going. It was on my bucket list. So I set myself to read some creation psalms while I was there. I made a list of 18. I felt God roll his eyes at me like, Ray, really? Six is enough. So I went with my six psalms, and the night we got on the boat, I read one of the psalms. Little did I know the joy that God was planning for me in a fountain of delight that was going to erupt the next morning. Next morning, I got up. It's pitch black. I'm an early riser. I come out of my cabin, which is on the side of the boat. We're talking little boat here. I go down the side, down into the galley to get a morning cup of coffee. I come up, I pull open the slider, and this is what greeted me. Isn't that amazing? I burst into tears. Not difficult for me. For those of you who know me know I cry very easily. But I knew that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had been plotting to surprise me. I had the sense that they were like, behind the door going, she's up, there she goes, okay, she's going down, everybody get ready, son, son, are you ready, okay, she's opening the door, go, ta-da, happy anniversary. <laughs> Why was I so convinced of that? Because the night before I had read Psalm 19, I will cry now, the heavens declare the glory of God. In the heavens, God has set a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and marching across the heavens like a champion, and nothing escapes its warmth. And the night before, I had been meditating on the fact that Jesus, my bridegroom, 
my champion warms me with his love. And you wake up to that? I was just amazed. And as you can see, I'm still feasting on the warmth of that. But the word of God, so rich and brought alive by the Holy Spirit. But I have very good news. You don't have to be in Alaska. Because just on Monday, as I was up praying early in the morning, really thinking about this sermon and thinking about the Alaska part, I looked up and this is what I saw. It's like God saying to me, hello, still here in Greenland. And then this morning, I got up. Obviously, today was on my mind. I go to let the dog out. It's pitch black. And I see it's like somebody's thrown diamonds all over my deck. I was like, wow, that's amazing. God, you sent me diamonds. And I look up. And there is this moon. Take a look. Moonlight. And I immediately thought, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the work of your hands, the moon and stars are set in their place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you should care for him? And I really felt God speak to me that there were women here in particular who felt that they had been cast aside on the floor, but that God was shining his light on you and saying, you are seen. The scripture that came to my mind was, you're a royal diadem in the hand of the Lord. No longer will you be called deserted or desolate, for as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so God rejoices over you. Isn't he wonderful? So I was talking about spiritual disciplines, reading the word, how they draw us to Jesus, how the Holy Spirit brings those things alive. So Dallas Willard talks about two types of spiritual disciplines, engagement and abstinence. Engagement where we connect with people, abstinence where we self-deny, where we let go of certain things. And let's look, scripture, we've talked a little bit about that already. Prayer, worship, service, and fellowship. And then Sabbath, fasting, silence, and solitude. We've worshiped together today. We've prayed. We've read scripture. Many of those disciplines you can do alone. But please note that fellowship is impossible to do alone. You know, going to the well in Jesus' time was a social activity. And it's the same for us, because when we come together, we're going to the world together, and we are meeting with Jesus. There are things that we do together that are on my schedule as non-negotiables, because you are my family. This is where I belong, so make time to be with you. When I get up on a Sunday morning, I don't think, am I going to go to the meeting? It's just what I do. When there's a monthly prayer meeting, I don't think, am I going? I go. You know, we do these disciplines together. Scripture, we hear the word, we have prophecy come, people read out scripture, we do that together, it's wonderful. We have prayer meetings where we pray for each other and we pray that God's name will be exalted in the nations and locally. We exalt God together in the worship and we share in the bread and the wine and we serve together to love our neighbors. I need you to help me to stay filled with the Spirit. Events on the church calendar 
are really important because there are times when we come together to drink of the Spirit. You know, Jesus set us a very good example in that. He went to the temple. He celebrated the feasts. He went to parties. And he ate dinner with his disciples. Yet we also see Jesus consistently seeking out times to be alone with the Father. We need both fellowship and solitude. So let me recap. We know God wants us to be full of joy. And for that to happen, we need to be filled with the Spirit. We know that there are wells of salvation along the way. We know we have to go to the well. Then we draw the water and then we drink. So we schedule a time and a place to be with Jesus and his people and we practice spiritual disciplines. And then we drink. Woo! Ray! That sounds like a lot of effort. Sounds a bit legalistic, if I'm honest. I thought it was a dance. I thought it was the unforced rhythms of grace. Yes. But we can confuse effort and discipline with legalism. This is what Dallas Willard said. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. You've never seen people more active than those who've been set on fire by the grace of God. You see, grace doesn't mean that there's no effort and no discipline. We discipline and we deny ourselves because we've seen somebody or someone worth giving our all for. The key is that our efforts don't come from a sense of duty. We're trying to earn God's favor or impress somebody. No, our efforts and our action come from a sense of delight because we've been set on fire by the grace of God and we can do nothing else. The prize makes the discipline worth it. Think about the Olympic Games this summer, Tokyo. Tokyo. Athletes will be coming from all over the world seeking Olympic glory. They will have disciplined themselves and put aside other things so that they can train. But in the midst of all the discipline and all of their training, their eye is on the prize. Well, guess what? My eye is on a much greater prize than that. I want to put things aside and consider everything else a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. But like the Apostle Paul, who I just quoted, I have to tell you, I am not there yet. But I do press on towards the goal to win the prize. He is so worth it. So grace and discipline are good partners. The spiritual disciplines are for our benefit because they lead us towards Jesus. As I draw from the well through reading, scripture, and prayer, the Holy Spirit is drawing me, and he's filling me full of his spirit. He's drawing me into his presence where there is fullness of joy. So I have discipline and delight. Oh, the well sounds so inviting, doesn't it? I'd really like to go there. And we have an open invitation. But all too often, we can't hear the Spirit's invitation above the din of our lives, the busyness of our schedule, and the thoughts that race through our heads. Even when we do hear him, everything is just spinning too fast. And we end up kind of going like this. Hey, Holy Spirit, how you doing? Yeah, we've got to get together. Call me. Yeah, and off you go. 
The distractions and the noise are in our faces and they scream for our attention. <laughs> Sometimes literally, if you have little children. They are audible and they're visible. They demand our attention, but God's invitation comes in a whisper and it's all too easy to ignore him. I've quoted this before, Mark Batterson, from my favorite book. God has an outside voice and he's not afraid to use it. But when God wants to be heard, when what he has to say is too important to miss, he often speaks in a whisper just above the absolute threshold of hearing. When someone speaks in a whisper, you have to get very close to hear. We lean towards a whisper and that's what God wants. The goal of hearing the Heavenly Father's voice isn't just hearing his voice, it's intimacy with him. That's why he speaks in a whisper. He wants to be as close to us as is divinely possible. He loves us. He likes us that much. Mark Batterson goes on to say, and when he gets you that close, God might grab you and give you a tickle or a big hug. He loves us. So we should slow down the pace and turn down the noise so that we could respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit. And a few things that have really, really helped me to do that are solitude and silence. Yeah, right. Have you seen my life, Ray? Well, before you dismiss it, let's look at some of the benefits. Ruth Haley Barton says this. Solitude and silence in particular enable us to experience a place of authenticity within and to invite God to meet us there. In solitude, we are rescued from relentless human striving so that we can experience the life of the Spirit guiding toward that true way that lies between one polarity and another, between one extreme and another. In silence, we give up command and allow God to be God in our life rather than being a thought in our head or an illustration in a sermon. In that place of our seeking, we listen for the still, small voice of God telling us who we are and what is real from a spiritual point of view. Then we are not quite so enslaved by the demands and expectations of life. Wow. We should be running towards solitude and silence. Released from the demands and expectations and rescued from relentless human striving. You so even, even though we complain about our endless to-do list, we are very loath to let go of those things because actually we feel like they make us look good on the outside or they feed our ego or we're afraid of missing out. We have one extreme or the other. My calendar is too busy, I cannot cope. My calendar is empty, I have no friends. You know, when we're there with the Spirit, He shows us what is real. Sometimes, even in a meeting, we can be more conscious about what other people think, about moving in our gift, about doing our responsibilities. But it's so freeing if we can just be a child of God and just come before God face to face and in solitude and silence, you can do that because there's nobody around to impress. He sees right through our swagger and there's nobody around to judge you because he sees right through your shame to the real person. For you, there are no demands and expectations no roles and titles, no power, prestige, and influence, no accomplishments and achievements. They've all gone. It's just you and God. 
because he's the one with all the titles and all the power and all the influence. So when you need refreshing and a little bit of guidance, or when you're just in your head and quite frankly, you just need to get over yourself, seek out some solitude and some silence. Maybe begin with five minutes a day. Maybe you could get 15 minutes at the weekend or on your quarterly retreat with your gift certificate from your loved one. Maybe you could have an extended time of solitude and silence. I mean, when we meet with God face to face, he rushes towards us and he fills us full of his joy. There are so many ways actually of drawing water from the wells. I've mentioned just a few. I mentioned the word and prayer, fellowship, solitude and silence. Other things that I journal, I know there are journalers amongst you here to capture the thoughts that I have, the things that God is saying. And then could you just take a deep breath with me? <sighs> Do you know that prayer can be a breath if that breath is directed towards God? So helpful. And then there's speaking in your prayer language. Some 35 plus years later, I'm still speaking in tongues every day. I actually aim for 15 minutes a day at least before you think, oh, that's a bit crazy. Well, three five-minute sessions in the bathroom, in the car, it's pretty easy to do. And I find that when I do that, it's somehow like that well is opened up to me and I find the Spirit coming, bubbling forth. I have clarity, I have joy, I sense the presence of God. I would really recommend it. And then there's worship through music and dancing. I mentioned worship through music and dancing because we can worship in other ways too, right? Remember our race course from the start? Well, music and dancing can really help you get into a rhythm to kind of keep you going on that race course. It can help you navigate the peaks and the valleys of life. So one of my favorite things to do on a Monday morning at home when I'm doing the housework and maybe mopping the floor is to sing worship songs. One of my favorites goes like this. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. Now, I am not being irreverent. Please hear me. Because what matters is where is my focus? Who or what am I drinking in? I'm telling God, if there's a high mountain, if there's a low valley, if the river is too wide, I am still coming after you. Nothing's going to stop me. And it's a duet, right? It comes back to the day he set me free. He said, you could always count on me. From that day on, I made a vow. I'll be there when you need me some way, somehow. The object of my devotion at that time is Jesus. What matters is who or what I am drinking. So let's talk about drinking, because it's a funny word, isn't it, really? What does it mean to drink in the spirit? Because obviously I'm not talking about drinking some liquid, but here's a good definition. To watch or listen to something with eager pleasure or interest. Similar words, absorb, assimilate, digest, take in, be absorbed in. But it's easy to be absorbed in the reading plan, isn't it? Or in your latest planner or in the style of worship, or the theological meaning of something. Those things are all important. 
but we can get absorbed in the disciplines rather than in the prize. We can be seen to be doing the right thing, but miss the object of our devotion. It is possible to draw, but not drink of Jesus if our heart is not focused on him. So it's not, ooh, my lovely reading plan, or ooh, that great worship song. No, it's wow, Jesus, you're so amazing. There's another verb that really helps me. It's a phrasal verb, and it is to drink in. To stop and look at or listen to something in order to enjoy it fully. So there are four action words in there. On the next slide, we do this. We stop, and we look, and we listen, and we enjoy. Spiritual disciplines lead us to Jesus. They help us to stop and look and listen to Jesus. Our focus is on him. We behold his beauty, and we magnify his name. He becomes bigger than everything else in the picture. And we enjoy him. That's what it means to drink. Because you see, there's a thirst in me and there's a thirst in you that only God can satisfy. And when we are enjoying Jesus fully, we are satisfied. But I can't tell you what to do. Because there's no formula. But there is a rhythm. But your relationship with God will be unique. And you will figure it out as you get to know the Holy Spirit. But it will involve going and drawing and drinking. So often it's in the midst of our schedules and our disciplines that the Holy Spirit bursts through with spontaneity and he just pours his presence out upon us. Filled with joy, we sing and we shout about the goodness of God. And you know, this is nothing new. These spiritual disciplines have been practiced for hundreds of years. They are the monastic practices of ancient times. But we don't use them to hide away from the world, to get our own way. No, at the well, God speaks to us about how his thing, how he wants to use us to change the world how he wants us to proclaim his goodness among the nations. So, what is the practical application for us today? Well, I've given a lot of practical things that you could do. Maybe this week you could spend some time with God asking him, is there a rhythm that you want from me, God? Is there something I need to give up, something I could add? That will be between you and the Holy Spirit, right? But today, here we are at the well together. And when we're at the well, it'd be good to drink. 